0: Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston shares a devotional that will speak to you, no matter what your current relationship is with your teen. Let's hear what Mark has to say.
1: Hey, most people know that I'm a grandfather because I talk about it all the time. I've got a 19-year-old granddaughter, a 14-year-old, 8-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and and I think the world of them, uh, mainly because I think grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. Uh, there's just something about it that's different, and uh, and I've always learned these little lessons that that maybe I didn't learn when I was raising my own kids, but now I have that second time around. And how I wish somebody would have shared some things with me uh, when I was just parenting rather than now when I'm learning that I get a, a mulligan, if you will, and trying out some new things on my grandkids. This happens in any family, though. And, uh, and it's about your words and your comments and how you engage with a child and what's remembered and what's not. Um, I remember when my granddaughter, Miley, was 16, and she texted me and she just said, hey, Papa, can we get together for dinner? And um, I quickly responded, as soon as I got back in town uh, from a speaking event, I would love to get with you. And, um, and she goes, we can go anywhere. I just want to sit down with you. And I said, you bet, sweetheart, in a, in a heartbeat. And you know what? She just wanted to talk. That was it. Not really anything remarkable or outstanding. That wasn't her point. She was really just asking, am I valuable and important enough that you'd like to get together? And I heard it loud and clear, and the answer is yes. One of these days, she'll ask if we can get together again, and there will be something remarkable, maybe even earth-shattering. But I'm convinced that those Critical conversations will never occur unless I'm willing to invest in the smaller conversations that build that trust and affection first. Many times a parent is just the attending ear that listens and listens and listens and then listens some more. And then when you're through listening, uh, you listen even more. And somewhere in the midst of wearing your ears out, a, a child begins to believe that you're a superhero just because you listen all because you showed up and engaged in the nick of time. It's no different for any of us. We all love that. I'm convinced that that kids will remember your stories and your bits of wisdom just as you and I did growing up from the adults who spoke to us and into us. From my early childhood up through my 30s, I was like a sponge soaking up anything I can figure out about anything from anybody about what I was supposed to do and what my purpose in life was supposed to be. It might not have taken so long if the voices I heard in my elementary and teen years encouraged me more than discouraged me. My sponge soaked up quite a bit of negative from people who were more critical than they were wise. Even after I became an adult, many other adults I knew spent time telling me that I couldn't do things rather than how I could do them. I mean, there were people who told me, you'll never marry your high school sweetheart. And I did. And we've now been married 45 years. And people said, you know, you um, you should never work for a church. And I did. And I was there for seven years. I met a lot of parents that thought I was constantly wrong. And in, in fact, I couldn't do anything right in their eyes. Many said that that moving to Branson, Missouri to be a Young Life area director was the wrong choice. We spent seven years with Young Life as well. The biggest punch in my gut is when I sat down with a a fellow that I thought that I trusted, and I told him I had this crazy idea about working with kids in Texas at a place called Heartlight. I already knew the name, and we were going to start this program and, and help families that were caught in crisis and their kids were struggling and so I sat down with him and said, hey, here's the plan, and here's the idea, and, and this is where I'm going to get the money to make it happen. And I was excited about our meeting. And his comments were this to me, you're going to fail. Mark, you're not the right person for the job. He thought moving back to Texas was going to be a big mistake. And he stated that I just wasn't capable of the plans I thought God had for us. In a way, he was right. I wasn't capable, but God was. He knew my calling, my passion, and my purpose. He created me for it, and it was his positive push that countered this man's negativity. And what I've found is there's just a lot of people that I've been surrounded with throughout my life that that I would describe as naysayers, people that always saw the glass half-empty and who took one-way trips to negative town, always emphasizing the worst of any situation. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I've said it for years that it's not the presence of negative comments, but the absence of positive comments that set one's life on its course. The positive for me came from older folks in my life who chose to sit with me and listen. All times of the day, any day of the week— They could be counted on to listen to my hopes and dreams and offering input only when I wanted or asked for it. From them, I learned some important lessons that came from their ability to use experience and knowledge to make good decisions and judgments. Wisdom flowed from those conversations. And I'm sure they never realized the impact that they were having on me. As I reflect on their effect on me, I guess their influence was what a a normal parent or a normal grandparent could have had on me and could have offered me in some way i spend a lot of time thinking back on my life and and thinking about people who have helped me become who i am and as i try to imagine what i would be without their words of wisdom i i just can't i mean most of these guys are dead now uh, some have lost their spouse others have lost their mind i still keep in touch with a few but all their legacies live on in me. When I worked as a youth pastor in a church in Tulsa, a fellow by the name of Dave Talak came up to me and said, Mark, don't stoop to be a king when you're called to be a servant. Think about that one. For me, that was a totally different perspective than being told to put others ahead of myself. The same principle, but a new way of hearing and perceiving it. The pastor of that church, a guy by the name of Dr. L.D. Thomas and I were out for lunch at the Tulsa Oil Club one time, and I remember him pointing to everyone in the room saying, Mark, every person in this room feels like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Another pastor there by, by the name of Doug Burr said this, Mark, God's going to use you. I remember the renowned author and speaker Chuck Swindoll saying, Everything that has come to you has first passed through the hands of God. A guy named John Roberts, who was my algebra teacher in my sophomore year of high school and then became a swim coach that I had for a number of years, said, Mark, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you won't. For many a race was lost before the gun was even sounded. A guy named Smith Brookhart, who died a few years ago, from Branson, Missouri, would remind me, Marcus you're doing a good thing. Spike Quite of Canna Camp took me under his wing and would say, Mark, have you thanked the guy who fired you and brought you back to Texas? Another dear friend from Branson named Pete Hershen would say this as we started Heartlight. He said, Mark, remember that your revenues will always be half of what you expect and your expenses will be twice the amount you plan for. Wishard Lemons told me when talking about ministry, he said, Mark, people in ministry don't laugh enough. And a guy I worked with at the same time, a guy named Joe Mubert, he said this, Mark, most Christian ministries cater to women. It's our job to serve up a good meal to men. Another dear friend that was in my wedding, Cliff Talbert, shared with me over coffee. He says, Mark, you've got to be genuine. You've got to be real or people won't stand to be around you. A lady by the name of Margot Duquette here in East Texas who taught me about breaking horses said, Mark, how you treat a horse when you're on its back is pretty much how you treat those people that live around you. You know, I don't know whether any of these folks really realized the impact uh, that each simple but wise sentence had on me. I'm not sure I I knew how important they were at the time, but in hindsight, I find that each has molded me and how God used them to influence me. It was these guys and this gal that left a legacy of hope for me. And to each one, to this day, I'm eternally grateful. It's interesting how each of the comments I remember didn't always use Scripture. However, each undoubtedly stood on biblical principles for their own lives. And sometimes wisdom is shared From the ways that you've internalized God's Word in your life, you naturally express it through golden statements based upon your experience and knowledge. In all their time with me, each of these people had similarities in their influence that presented a wonderful example to me. And now I can use that influence in the same way to share wisdom with with my children, my grandchildren, and those kids that, that I live with at Heartlight. I want to give you 10 things that I learned from these guys as I reflect back, and it's an encouragement to all of us as parents and grandparents to engage in such a way that we're making an influence on our kids' lives and our grandkids' lives that they too may one day remember who we are, what we stand for, what we believe, and how we love them dearly. Here's number one. These one-liners didn't come out of just one meeting. They were nuggets, I remember, from a span of time that we spent together. Conversations didn't set out to solve a specific problem at a specific time. They were just ongoing conversations over a long period of time. Number two, these friends were intentional about training me. I realize that now. I didn't then. I just thought that they were hanging out with some young guy. These meetings weren't just to shoot the breeze or pass time. They recognized they had a sponge sitting there soaking up anything that it could. They were purposeful, but not agenda-driven, with a desire to pass on something that would make my life different. Number three, and this is key, the time spent together was positive. At least it seemed like it was. I'm sure they said things that needed to be said, but I always left our times together with a sense of encouragement, not discouragement. Number four, each gave me room to ask questions, millions of them. They weren't afraid to tell me answers I didn't want to hear, but they told them in an affirming way. I trusted them when they were right, I trusted them when they were wrong. Number five, These steadfast rocks had insight, meaning that they processed their own experience and drew out insight and wisdom to be passed on to others. Number six, they told stories, their own stories of successes and failures, challenges and hurdles and what they had learned and picked up in the process. Number seven, no matter how I saw something each always helped me see things from another perspective. Number eight was this. Deep down, I knew each of these folks loved me and enjoyed the time we were able to spend together. I felt their commitment when they introduced me to their friends, other colleagues, and folks uh, that we would bump into during our times together. The ninth thing I learned from this was they didn't spend time correcting me by telling me how I needed to do something different now or the next time. If they did, I think I would have checked out and and put them in the same category as other naysayers in my life. And number 10 is this. They acted as a remedy, helping me figure out God's best for my life. Now, those are the 10 things that I've picked out from a number of men that that changed my life and influenced me. Um, I wouldn't be half the man I am today had it not been for their influence. And I'm sure that you can list a very similar group of people that influenced your life if you really sit down and think. And I bet you can list what each person taught you. Matter of fact, I would challenge you to do that. Well, you know, now it's your turn to be the influencer, the storyteller, the perspective giver, the sharer, of successes the communicator of failures the insight injector and the positive trainer god placed your child in your life for a reason he's also kept you in theirs for a greater purpose and you've had plenty of years to have the light shine on you and now it's their turn and my hope for you would be this that when they're going through a tough time that you would be the superhero in their life that you would be the one that they would run to, that you would be the one that they knew would always encourage them and listen and spend time and engage and offer what is true and help them sort out what's not true and, and what's important and what's not important. There's a scripture that I think is important here. That's, it's 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, and it says this, "'My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words,' but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. God bless you all. Hope you have a great week. Your kids and your grandkids need you in their life desperately.